Jesus. All right. Turn in your, your Bibles to the book of Acts, please. This is the final chapter, obviously, of the book of Acts. This is our 92nd sermon in the sermon series on the book of Acts. So almost two years. And um, my intention is to take uh, the epistles of John next. But I might take a little bit of a break and do some psalms or something for maybe eight weeks or so um, and then jump into our series. But let's look at Acts. Acts chapter 28, verse 1. Uh, God's holy word. When they had been brought safely through, then we found, uh, we found out that the island was called Malta. The natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain had set in, because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks, sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself onto his hand. When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they began saying to one another, Undoubtedly this man is a murderer. And though he has been saved from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm. But since they were expecting he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, afterwards they waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began to say that he was a god. Now, in the beginning of that place were lands, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the leading man of the island named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed, afflicted with a current fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and he healed him. After this had happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and when we were setting sail, they supplied us with all that we needed. At the end of three months, we set sail on the Alexandrian ship, which was, had been wintered at the island, and which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and uh, arrived at Regium, and a day later, a south wind sprung up, and on the second day, we came to Petoli. There we found some brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and thus we came to Rome. And the brothers, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Apias and three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When he entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself <coughs> with a soldier who was guarding him. <clears throat> After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and when they came together, he began saying to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. <clears throat> but when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you that I might speak with you, <clears throat> for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brothers come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. <clears throat> we desire to hear from you what your views are, for concerning this sect, it is known to us that it is spoken everywhere against everywhere. When they had set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers, and he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God, trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning until evening. Some were not were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. 
When they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. <clears throat> the Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to our fathers, saying, Go to this people and say, You'll keep on hearing, but you'll not understand. You'll keep on seeing, but you'll not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, or hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. <clears throat> Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They also will listen. When he had spoken these words, the Jews departed, having a great dispute among themselves. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, this is your word. I am not sufficient to proclaim it. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would guide me, thou my great Jehovah, and the words of my lips, the meditation of my heart. Everything would be according to your word. Not just the content, but even my tone would be pleasing to you, O God. And Holy Spirit, that you would pour out upon this convocation and that we would all have the requisite faith to... um, to hear and receive and to be radically changed by your word. And if there are any who have come into this um, church this morning that are not converted to you, Jesus Christ, that you would use the ministry of the word to convert them and build up your kingdom. Glorify your name in all the earth we pray. Amen. Well, this particular chapter... I think legitimately has three sermons in it. I'm only going to take it under one particular sermon. And because of that, and I've done this, I've done this throughout the book of um, Acts because the themes are fairly redundant. I want to look at this chapter through the lenses of the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And this is the life of a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, what it, this is what it means to be a minister of Christ. And so I'm going to apply that both to the official called minister, and I understand Paul is an extraordinary minister, uh, an apostle, but I'm going to apply it to all Christians. All Christians are ministers in a sense. I'm not, again, preaching, I understand the distinction of office, but we're going to look at the subject of the service of the minister. This is, um, this is, as it were, the the last Holy Spirit inspired record of the Apostle Paul's labors. This is the final chapter of the life of the Apostle um, Paul that, that the Holy Spirit gives us. So I want us to consider this through the lenses, as I say, of um, ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we're going to look at this general subject, I want us to, to think of a few things. The idea here that I want to open with is that we have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, but we've not been saved by our serving. That was the church of my youth. We have been saved unto serving, but not by our serving. We have been saved, Paul was saved, not by serving Jesus Christ. He was saved when God the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to Christ, so he's saved, we are all saved, by our faith in Christ's serving, as it were. But then once we are saved, we have been saved unto serving, if that makes sense. 
So our salvation, the grounds of it, is bound up in the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He pays the price. And through the conduit of faith alone, we receive all of the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, justified. Now, the life of cross-caring, the life of serving Jesus, wherever he takes us. That's this. And so we have, all of us have been saved unto serving Jesus Christ. And so the application of this, looking at Paul, he's diligent. We find him all through the shipwreck, prior to the shipwreck, the shipwreck, after the shipwreck, in Rome, working, 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 working. As a Christian person, are you serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you, are you compelled by the love of Christ do you, do you do your marriage? Do you love your wife as Christ loves the church? Do you submit to your husband and to the Lord? Do you raise your children in the Lord? That's the service. So it may be distinct where we are in the body. The, the Apostle Paul is the mouth. He serves by preaching. But all of us have a place in the body. God has placed us there by his grace. And do we, do you, as a believer, exist consciously? Do you wake up every day that you have life, another day to serve Christ? Well, I'm sick then serve Christ with your sickness. I'm in pain, then serve Christ with your pain. And we're going to see that in this passage. So we have been saved by God's grace, but we have been saved unto serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just remind us, since we're looking at Paul's final chapter of being a minister, Paul's commissioning. It's been true his whole life. The Apostle Paul was given this commission by the Lord Jesus Christ unto service. Now listen to this, Acts 9 verse 15. Jesus said to Ananias, Go, for he, Paul, is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Christ has called the Apostle Paul to be his herald, and he said this is his calling. This is his ministry. He has to preach. Paul says elsewhere he's compelled by God the Holy Spirit. He has to preach Christ. And that's what he's doing. And God the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts chapter 20 tells Paul, every place you go, Jew or Gentile, every place, you preach repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In every place you go, preaching repentance from your sin, turning from your sin to Christ as your sin bearer, every place you're going to go, you're gonna be, you're, you'll suffer for it. That Paul says, Christ gave me the commission, the Holy Spirit confirmed the commission to me, and he still serves. This is a real, again, I don't, I'm not feeling very feisty this morning. I don't want to be polemical. Many men get into ministry thinking, well, this is going to be fabulous. They call you reverend, you get a fancy robe, you get the best parking spot. God, the Holy Spirit, tells Paul, this is your ministry. Tell people that they're sinners and tell them that they're in danger in their sin and to look to Christ as their sin bearer. Most will hate you. Some will believe in you and and receive you. But this is your calling. That is the life and the commissioning of the gospel minister. Now, in our chapter, what we're going to find is the superintending government of the minister, servant of Jesus. It applies to Paul, but it applies to all of us. You remember in chapter 27, they were in the storm. They've set off. They've been in the storm. 
Apostle Paul says, we better not keep going on. It's going to wreck the ship and probably kill us all too. And they don't listen to him. And they go through the storm. And then an angel of the Lord tells Paul, keep everybody on the ship. The ship is going to be gone. The goods are going to be gone. But the people will be saved. You're going to Rome. And what we find in chapter 28 is all of the people have landed. There's 276 guys on the ship. 276 guys are standing on the beach in Malta. And it, it occurred just as God's word said. So we have the minister of the Lord Jesus Christ who is called by Jesus to proclaim Christ and to live according to the word of God and to tell people the word of God comes true and all during his life, it's coming true, it's coming true, it's coming true. But I was not raised in a Protestant Christian home. I was not raised where the word was superior. I was raised in a church where the sacrament was superior and the word was subordinate to the sacrament. This is the supremacy of the word. The word of Christ will come true. It governs everything. And the man who's called to preach Christ has to believe it. <laughs> and we have to believe it. So God has told Paul, you are going to Rome. In our passage, he arrives at Rome. But just before he gets to Rome, he's in Malta, as I said. Now, when the 275 guys are standing next to him, God, through his angel, tells Paul on the ship, I have granted to you the life of all those who travel with you. It's very significant. I have granted to you, Paul, the life of all the men that are with you. Because, in seemingly, Paul has been praying for these guys. And God says to him, I'm granting your prayer. Seemingly and evidently, Paul was praying that God allow these men to live. And God heard him and said, I'm going to give them your, their lives for your sake. We're just looking at what does a gospel minister look like and then what does a gospel Christian look like? These other 270-something guys, there were some prisoners there, but by and large, the people that are watching over the Apostle Paul, he's in chains. He has heathen sailors and he has heathen guards who are keeping him in chains to take him to Rome so he can get his head chopped off. And they, at the end of chapter 27, they want to kill everybody, including Paul, so they don't get killed if any of the prisoners escape. And what is Paul doing for them? He's praying for them. This is the Christian minister. Here are these men who are basically keeping him in chains. And Paul is saying, Lord Jesus Christ, grant them their life. Why? Why? You know what imprecatory prayers are? They're, they're very unusual. I don't pray imprecatory prayers. I know God the Holy Spirit does inspire David. I think ultimately in the, in the, in the mouth of Jesus Christ... Precatory prayers are cursing prayers. Break their teeth, make them homeless, childless, and so on. There are, there are some of those in the Bible. There are Christian ministers and Christians who think it's their duty to pray in precatory prayers. I know there are a few there. I, I find ultimately they're in the lips of Christ. I'm not inspired by God the Holy Spirit. I don't pray concerning unbelievers. Oh, God. Give those unbelievers what they deserve. Why? Because Christ didn't. Because Paul didn't. 
Paul prays for people that are going to take him off to get killed, keep them alive. Jesus prays on the cross to people that are murdering him. Father, what? Go ahead, finish it. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. So the gospel minister has been called to proclaim Christ, repent of your sins, turn to Christ, be saved. He's, but he's sent to sinners, to people that don't love God. They do love their sin, and they don't love Christians. And Paul is begging that these men not die. Why ultimately, oh God, grant them their lives? Why does he pray that? They're not ready to die, beloved. That's why. They're not ready to die. The Puritans, don't tell anybody, but we, this church is the continuation of the English Puritans, but don't tell anybody. The Puritans considered it was the calling of the minister to prepare people to die and meet God. Don't tell anybody, that's what I think my job is. Every human being that I meet with here or at the checkout line or when they come to my house, they have a soul. And that soul is going to live forever somewhere. And their body is going to die. Paul says they're not ready to die. These men that have me in chains, they're not ready to die. Let them live. Why? So I can give the gospel. So perhaps in God's kindness, they'll be converted. And then they're ready to die and meet God in Christ. Does that make sense? So just let's step back and look at the gospel minister. The gospel minister is a praying man. He prays. Christ used to wake up in the middle of the night and spend all night on the mountain praying. I hear people like, we're going to take over America. And America. I have a friend, I won't. He thought that one of the presidents was going to turn America into a Christian nation. I would love it to be a super OPC nation, by the way. But I'm thinking, <laughs> no prayer? There's no prayer? There's no gospel? How, how are we taking over anything? No one's taking over anything without any prayer. So if, if you meet a Christian minister, we're doing this, we're taking over, and they're not praying. They're not taking over their own heart. They're not taking over in their own marriage. They're not taking over their own family. The Christian minister is a praying man. And notice what he prays for. People. People. He's going to talk about later, the Christian minister is about the advance of the kingdom. And this is where people get, we get nutty. The Christian church is we're divided all over the place. I can't wait till we get to heaven and we're not divided. The kingdom's going to be like this and everybody's going to do this and everybody's going to look like this. The kingdom, and it's this out here. The kingdom's not about stuff. The kingdom's not about things. The kingdom's about people. It's about souls. It's not so much the body. It is to some degree the body, but it's about the soul. And so here is God's minister praying for the souls. Keep them alive so they can tell them about Christ, so they can be prepared to meet him. The minister after Christ's heart, he loves people. And he loves the lost. You say, with the lost are obnoxious. We're totally obnoxious. What were we when we were lost in our sin? Obnoxious. And even as Christians, half the time we're still obnoxious. But he loves ugly sinners because he wants to bring them to a beautiful Savior like he's come to. And for the, for the person that says, hey, I think I'm called to be a minister, but I don't love people. 
Go drive a truck like I did for years. Go be a carpet cleaner like I did for years. But get away from people. <laughs> the Christian minister has to have the heart of Christ. And the heart of Christ, the Bible says, in, it, it, what are we to do to people that, that, that spitefully use us? This is Paul. Spitefully use you. Someone spitefully uses you because you're a Christian. What's your response as a, as a Christian servant supposed to be back to them? Oh, God, open their eyes to Christ. Oh, God, bless them. Oh, Christ, do good to them. The Bible says that God is kind and gracious to evil and ungrateful people, and we are to emulate our, our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to, we're to be praying people. If you, if you say, well, I'm not a preacher. If you're a Christian husband, you ought to be praying with and for your wife every day. If you have children, with and for your children every day. And what should you be praying for? Oh, God, may they know Christ. Oh, God, can they live for Christ. That's part of the prayers of the minister that we see. The other thing in relationship to the minister and his ministry, just looking through Paul, we're going to go from maybe the sublime or the heavenly, and you think this is the mundane. Here he is. Christ has caused his word to come true. He's on the beach. He's safe and sound. And, and what's he doing? He's gathering wood. So the, the word in your text will say, and the natives of the island, and the Greek there is Barbaroi, the barbarians. It's literally the barbarians, which is really funny to me. In this text, not only do you see the heart of God in Christ on display, but you also see unbelievers unvarnished in their unbelief. This is what unbelievers, natural man, really thinks about natural other people. So when people that are not like us, they're not Greeks and they're not Roman, what are they? They're the barbaroi. <laughs> they're the barbarians. In the land of my youth, Boston, if you're Irish, you go up on the scale of like, you're just like, you're practically walking on water. The more Irish you have, the better you are. The less Irish you go down on the scale. But this is how it works for everyone. Oh, you're not like us. You're the different people. You're the Barbaroi. How wrong was that view? The Barbaroi are trying to do what for you? They're trying to do good for you. Now, if you've been a Christian any length of time, I mean born again, you love Christ, you believe that the precious blood of Christ purchases you, it's not you purchasing you, and you're in the Christian church, and you think, well, we all love one another. Sometimes you find that's true and sometimes not so much. Can unbelievers be kind? Can unbelievers do things which are kind? They don't know, these, these Barbaroid, they don't know Jesus. Can they do kind things? Yeah, yeah. If the unbeliever can light a fire because it's freezing cold and it's starting to rain, what should the believer do? This is, yes, I'm a, yes, I left, was in the Roman Catholic Church, and now I'm a Protestant. Yes, I understand James 2, 14 to 26. Real faith always has faithfulness, fruits, faith and the product of faith. I understand that. If we say, oh, yes, we totally believe in Jesus. Oh, sorry. <laughs> we just don't build fires when people are freezing. We believe faith alone so much, it's really alone. There's no good works to it. James says, what is that? Here's the ministry 
by the minister of the word, and this guy is picking up sticks along with the unbeliever to build a fire. This is a, a Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. As Christians, Christian minister, Christian Christian, we are to do good to everybody, but especially to the household of faith. So you say, well, Paul, Paul's ministry is he's the mouth, he's the herald. That's, that's true. But if you have the physical ability as a minister, let's just say, if you have the physical ability, you can pick up sticks. You're not sick. And there's a need to pick up sticks because people are freezing. And you don't pick up sticks, you're a bad minister. You're a bad witness. This lesser service to the bodies of unbelievers, helping them get warm by a fire on Paul's part, which is what he's engaging in, it serves the higher purpose. This is the Matthew chapter 25. Do we all want to run around and tell everybody John 3.16? Of course I want that. But if a person needs John 3.16 plus a cup of cold water, what should you do? Give them a cup of cold water. And if they're sick in the nursing home, what should you do? Go to the nursing home, tell them John 3.16 and bring them a cup of coffee if they need a cup of coffee. The lesser service to the body, which is what he does, it serves as a platform for the higher degree of service to the soul. This is First John says, don't say to your brother who's in need, if you have the ability, who's, who's cold and hungry, be warm and well fed, brother. <laughs> Amen. Sola fide, brother. And you don't give them something? That's a sorry servant of Christ. That's a pitiful witness. And so here we have Paul. He has the ability. He expends himself self physically for the higher purpose of ministering the gospel. This is true. If you, if you want to share the gospel with some of your unsaved family and friends and they have a physical need, it might be better to wait for the John 3.16 and just minister to their bodies, praying that the Holy Spirit would provide that as a platform for you as he did with the Apostle Paul. I'm going to say something else related to what goes on. Publius is the, the governor of the island. Publius's father has dysentery. And so Paul goes from the um, helping build fires. And now he's brought into Publius's father, who has, is sick. And he prays for him. And he lays hands on him. And the man is healed. Now, this is an extraordinary time. The canon of scripture is not closed. Paul is a, an apostle. He's an extraordinary minister. And this, this is for me as a Reformed Christian. I make the distinction between an ordinary minister. I'm an ordinary minister. I proclaim the word in the sacrament. I'm not in, directly inspired by the Holy Spirit. I minister the inspired book, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But I myself am not like the apostle. The apostle has been given. This is a, a 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He has special gifts and powers and graces by Christ, the apostles, to confirm the gospel. So it was for a special period of time. They could, the handkerchief could fall on, the shadow could fall on them, and they could be healed. That's an apostle, a real apostle. Now, do I not know that you could go on TV today and see Apostle Fred? Yes, they're not apostles. I challenge Fred to raise the dead. He's not doing it but the real apostles could. But the, 
Even the healing of the body. Remember what we said about the gathering sticks for the minister? It was to serve a platform for the gospel, which is the minister's job. That's what the healing is going to do. I mentioned I was raised Roman Catholic, and I didn't know any Protestants. I just knew Jesus was the Lord. And then I went to all the different Protestant churches I could go to. And so I spent a good time in Pentecostal churches. And I've been to miracle services. If you've ever been to a miracle, I used to believe that they could do super stuff. And I... Beloved, the Apostle Paul is going to pray and miraculously heal people. This is God. This is God healing people. Through Paul. This was not like a carnival show so you could shake the people down for cash, which happens usually in the other venues. This was not, look at Paul, look at me, look at what I can do, pushing a guy over like he gets slayed in the Holy Spirit when you just pushed him in the forehead. This is, they're really sick and they're really made well. Christ is confirming his holy gospel through his holy minister. That's what's going on. So the, the ministry to the body is the lesser and it serves the greater, which is the ministry to the soul. I do want to say something about Paul. As this minister, helping people get warm in the name of Christ, this man, his dad, is restored. I want to say something about ministers and sick people, and Christians and sick people. We're told, right after this fellow gets healed, the rest of the island hears of it, and what do they do? They're grabbing their dad and their mom and they're getting him in the wheelchair, and they're getting their kid in the crutches, and they're heading down to Paul. What do you think about that, beloved? I would be first in line. I would be in my wheelchair, like flying. I would be first in line. Everybody wants their body healed. This is the effect of the fall. It's, it's going to work to Paul's betterment. God will give Paul a platform to preach the gospel through this great ministry. But here's what, the point about the sick people. Paul is willing to go to the sick people and to receive the sick people and the diseased people and the broken people and to minister to them in the name of Jesus. I, I mentioned sometimes ministers. If, if you're a young guy and you want to be a minister, an old guy want to be a minister, I'm not picking on you. But I've been here 22 years, and I've heard before guys, young guys usually, I want to be a minister because I like books. I want to be a minister because I like reading and I like to talk. And it's a really great job, and it's like neat and tidy, and it's honorable, and you make good money. It's a great job. The minister of Christ is called by Christ to minister to sick and broken people. Now, beloved, let me ask you something. I probably know the answer. Is it fun to go to sick and broken people, people with diseases? Is it, is it unsettling? Is it unsettling? Oh yeah, it's way unsettling. And our flesh doesn't want to do it. We don't want to see the person that can't get well. We don't want to see the person that can't see. We don't want to see the person that's dying. We don't want to see this person. It's unsettling. What, why does it unsettle us? Because we're in line. We're in line and we can't fix them. And we, it, so there is some selfishness to it, but this is the calling of the minister. Jesus Christ says, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I didn't come for the righteous, I came for the sinner. And he, Christ, condescends to meet with sick and broken people, and he wants his ministers to condescend to go to sick 
and broken people. To get outside of yourself. This is the calling of the Christian. This is the calling of every Christian. It is super disturbing to be with sick and broken people. Super disturbing. We'd rather be on the beach. We'd rather be out at crabs having a burger. But we're called to serve and not be served. And remember, everything is a platform for Jesus. Paul goes and he allows these people. He condescends. He humbles himself. He subordinates his earthly desires to minister to Christ and to people that Christ sends him. On the last day, Matthew chapter 25. This is the good works. One of the good works that will redound to your glory is you ministered to a sick person, a sick brother, a sick sister in Jesus Christ for the namesake of Jesus. That's the calling of the minister. That's the calling of every Christian. We have to be willing to forgo our pleasure and to consider others higher than ourselves, and to go to people when they're hurting and they're broken and minister the love of God in Christ. That's Paul. That's our Christ. And so he does these things. And um, as I say, Christ uses that to, um, as a platform to proclaim the gospel. We see that the islanders um, give him honors when he leaves. And now he gets back on a ship He goes from Malta, and he's going to go on the way to Rome. What's interesting is the ship... You remember Jesus has told him, Paul, you're going to Rome. And so he's going to Rome. They have a ship for him. And the ship in the Greek here is called the Twins. And the Twins are actually... I think technically these Twins, it's um, Castor and Pollux are the two Twins. Castor, C-A-S-T-O-R, and then Pollux... P-O-L-L-U-X. Those are the two twins. And they're like mini-gods, or I think the technical term is demigod, D-E-M-I, gods, which means they're half, they're not real gods. They're half god, half man. And I don't know what they do now in public school, but when I was a kid in public school, we learned Greek and Roman myth. This is Greek and Roman myth. So on the the ship, you have the two. uh, Castor was a horse trainer god, and Pollux was a boxer god. And um, you can look up there. <laughs> the mythology is kind of whacked. When you, this, no extra charge for this. When you look at the Greek and Roman myth of the false gods, this is the, my wife, she often will say the, god, the Hindu gods as in her youth, they're just like fancified powerful men. They're stealing all the girls. They're stealing all the cash. <laughs> this is the, these guys. They're just supermen. So on the front of the ship, you have these two false gods. And God has his servant, Christ, uh, Christ's servant, Paul, on the ship. Really interesting to me. They're there because they're superstitious. Unbelievers are very superstitious. They have their false gods that are going to protect them on the seas. And then when Paul arrives in Rome, it's not going to be Castor. It's not going to be Felix that gave the, the sailors and Paul safe passage to Rome. It's going to be King Christ. And so... He, he arrives in Rome. Now, I will say, I do wonder, would Paul have had a scruple about being in a boat as a Christian with these two pagan figureheads? I don't think he would have. I think he would have got on the boat. He had no choice anyways, but I don't think he would have because they're, they're nothing. This is a 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. 
Now, he arrives in Rome, and one of the first things that he does, and this is also informative for us as Christians and Christian ministers, he meets with the brothers. You remember in Romans 1 and Romans chapter 15, he wants, Paul says, I want to see the Christians that are in Rome. This is a truism. Christ is the one who saves us. We mentioned this, his, his merits by grace alone. One of the things that will flow out of saving faith is not only the good works that we see, but also a love of other Christians and a desire to fellowship with other Christians. I always get nervous when someone says, oh, you know, my kid is a Christian, but they just don't go to church, or my mom's a Christian, they don't, no one goes to church. They're all Christians, they don't go to church. I'm like, why don't they go to church? <laughs> why don't they go to church? If they're joined to Jesus, that means they're joined to brothers and sisters in Jesus. That means they want to hang out with their family. Why don't they want to hang out with their family? There's something wrong there. When you read the Bible, you don't find Christians that don't want to be with other Christians. You don't find that. Unless providentially you're sick and you can't be in church. What you find in the Bible is when you're joined to Jesus, you're instantly joined to other Christians, and you go looking for other Christians. That's what Paul does. I want to be with the brothers and sisters in Rome. The first thing he does when he hits the, the, the shore of Rome, I want to find brothers and sisters. You know, there's a place in the Bible, God will give you the desires of your heart, you know, and we think, what do we think? I want a beach house. <laughs> I want an electric car. I don't know. Who wants an electric car? Nobody. So um, <laughs> the desire of our heart, Christ is the desire of our heart to be conformed to his image. And to be with brothers and sisters is the desire. And God gives him the desire of his heart. I want to see the brothers and sisters in Rome before I die. And God in Christ grants it to him. And the other thing that this fellowship of the saints, which is an aspect of being a Christian and being a Christian minister, Christian ministers love other Christians. Not only do they love the lost, Christian ministers love other Christian people. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've been a minister for 22 years. I've talked to some other ministers that, like, I don't really like the people. <laughs> Christian ministers love Christ, and they love Christ's people for Christ's sake. Now, let's apply it from the minister. Christian, do you love Christ's people? I love the ones I love, and I don't love the ones I don't love. No, I'm not saying that. Do you love Christ's people? What happens if they're Methodists? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, they're Methodists. Or Presbyterians, or Episcopalians. Are they your brothers? Do you want to be with them? Do you love them? Are you the person that says, don't get me wrong, Pastor, I'm a Christian, I just hate going to church with Christians? That would be a bad idea, beloved. If you don't want to be with Christ's people on earth... And heaven is a picture of eternal church service, that would go bad. And when the people get together, here's what happens. They build one another up in the faith. That's what's going on. Paul's, Paul takes courage from the brothers and the sisters. Sometimes when I, do, I go to people's house to minister, I'm here to minister Jesus to you. By the time I leave, I'm crying and you're ministering to me. Because I'm weak as a lamb when I walk through the door, but after praying with you, I'm built up. That's this. this, this, this so the work of the Christian church is not just the, pro, the professional minister or whatever that means. 
He's living. This is a living, vital entity, this church, and they're feeding off of one another for Christ's sake, encouraging one another in the work. And then he goes on to Rome, and the first thing he does, which he does all the time, is he meets with Jewish folks. These are not believers. He was a Jew. He meets with his fellow Jews. And the text is going to tell us, and I'm just going to say this briefly because I don't want to go too long. This is stunning to me. He talks about the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And those two things are connected, and the Jews got it wrong, and I'm going to say the church gets it wrong. A lot of people in the household of faith think the kingdom of God is a political, social, cultural thing. That is hogwash. Should I say it again? Hogwash. I'm not saying don't vote for the best guy. I'm not saying wouldn't I like some good Christian laws or whatever that means. I'm not saying any of that. The Jews got it wrong. What did they think the kingdom of God was? We're going to kill the Romans. Then it's going to be health and wealth, and we're going to kill the Romans. There you go. Let's make Jerusalem great again. That's what Jesus is going to do. That is not what Christ has come for. What has Christ come for? It's a spiritual kingdom. And I know you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Save it. Save it, save it, save it. You're not heavenly minded enough and you're no earthly good. The kingdom of God is built up one soul at a time. He goes to the Jews that thought we're going to kill all the Romans and run the show. Repent of your sins. Believe in Jesus. Boring. You're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. You're not ready to die. You're like a pagan. Paul is like a, he's like a parrot everywhere he goes. Christ, 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 Christ. You want to talk about culture? Christ, Christ, Christ. That's how you change culture. That's how you change the culture of your heart. That's how you change the culture of your home. That's how you, if you're going to do it, look at the, the quote I put. If society is to be awakened one day from its deep slumber, it will only be done by Christians who have first woken up themselves to the full splendor of Christ. That's what Paul does. The Gentiles were not ready to die. The Jews were not ready to die. And what does Paul the minister tell them? This is the minister. It's Christ. Christ is, is the content of the Bible. Remember the minute? Remember? Remember Pontius Pilate said to Jesus, so you're a king? And what did Jesus say? John 18, 19. I am a king, but my kingdom is what? I know, I know I probably got like 10 people mad at me here. I, I know that. I know that. Take your favorite guy. Think of your favorite guy right now who was doing whatever he was doing in the 1800s. You take him in your mind. Talk to me at the, at the, the, the end of the, the church. It's this. It's a simple message. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If we are sinners, and we're all sinners, the only hope in life and death we have is Christ. He tells the Jews, and they tell him, we don't want any part of you. And then he sits for two years under house arrest. And what does the text tell us? Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who's a genius. What was the sum of his his sermon? He told everybody about Christ. Could he not wax eloquent on other things? Sure he could. But what are those other things if you're not saved in Christ? 
That's the ministry. And beloved, if you're a mom or a dad, you want your, your kid to be educated, you want him to be healthy, you want all those things. Do you want him to be a Presbyterian? I don't know. I know what you do want him to be. You want him to love Christ, and to know Christ, and to be forgiven by Christ. That's the gospel, beloved. May God be pleased with the preaching of his word.